Welcome back to the Crow's Nest. My name is Jackson Shank, alongside my co-host Justin Valenzuela. For episode 24, we're going to be covering the NFL, talking Cooper Cup's extension, some Tyree Kill podcast, the NBA Finals covering Game 3 and 4, and lastly, the MLB with some Jordan Alvarez, some Angels as they fire their manager, and all of a sudden, the teams that we talked about last episode turning around on a dime. Justin, how are we doing today? I'm doing pretty good, Jackson. I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I am fantastic. I'm going to play my first slow pitch softball of the summer. I'm a big advocate for some slow pitch. I'm an umpire myself, but I also play, and I was asked to uh, to sub in tonight. So I'm going to go hit some nukes, you know, play like Hell the yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. You know who you could, you could be like? Who's that? You could be like the current home run leader, Aaron Judge, or Mr. Giancarlo Stanton, or if we really want to get nutty, Matt Carpenter. Ooh, magic that stash, Luigi. But yeah, doing pretty good. Yeah, Yankees are doing pretty good. But first, we're going to talk about the NFL for this episode. Cooper Cup, man, the Rams found a way to get him some money. Three-year, $80 million base contract that ties him to L.A. for the next five as the contract is going to move out to $110 million in those five years. Crazy, Justin. He's paid around, I think he's in the top five for receivers now, which, you know, if you take a look at it, the, the year he had last year, it's kind of incredible for a man to, you know, stick where he is. He didn't chase too much money, but at the same time, man got a lot of guaranteed money. $75 million guaranteed. It's the most ever by a non-QB. So congrats to Cooper Cup. He stays locked in. And Justin, I want to know, man, as the Rams have handed out $140 million guaranteed in the past, you know, in the two days that the Aaron Donald contract and the Cooper Cup contract happened, run to me, run run it down for me. How do the Rams have this kind of money? So it really comes down to the rich get richer and the poor get poor. The, the Rams owner is the richest owner in all of NFL. So he, he has the ability to just hand out this dough. And another trick is they're just pushing this money back and back and back. And it's a tip or a trick. I guess you could say that the, the saints have done for a very long time. It seem seemingly every single year. It's like, Whoa, the saints have literally the, least amount of cap in the entire NFL, but, and they're paying the, these guys tons of money. And then come, come week one, they're right at where they need to be. So they're just pushing this money off. And, but it comes with consequences. They have to let guys go um, and all that stuff. And it does catch up, but it, it, it is a really solid trick for winning teams to just push this money back. And what the idea behind it is, or at least I think what the Rams are thinking is the salary cap increases so much. So if you just push it off to the future, eventually when you're held responsible for it, it's really not going to matter. If you look 10 years ago in 2012, the cap maximum was $120 million. It has doubled in the last 10 years, and it has statistically improved each year for the last 20, 30 years. The only year it declined was in 2021 following the COVID year because there was no fans no revenue and all of that stuff so it's increasing exponentially every single year and it's doubled what it was 10 years ago 
if you sign this player to for Cooper Cup, for example, five years and you push it back, the salary cap's gonna what be one half more or double? Like you never like it, the NFL is so popular that it's just increasing so much that you can afford to push this these contracts back and have no real repercussions because it's just the floor is gonna be so much higher by the time you have to pay it. So with this, I think this brings a whole new strategy to the game. You know, the Rams have talked about the fact they're like F them picks. We value players who have shown that they can be strong in the, in, in the NFL. Do you think this is going to be a strategy that teams start imploring year in and year out? I mean, it seems kind of bad for the game though, in the sense that a team can pay a guy, however much money they want or however much money that will fulfill his needs. And then it never punished them down the road. Like, obviously, it seems like the Rams will never have a more than three pick draft in the next five years. Like, I don't know if they're going to have draft picks, depending on how they trade and manipulate contracts and how they decide on moving money into the future. Like this past year, the year that Stafford uh, got traded when they won the Super Bowl. Stafford actually took all the guaranteed money that he was supposed to be paid that year and moved it into the future. So he got paid the year he won the Super Bowl last year, $1.5 million, which is the base contract a quarterback can get in the NFL, right? But at the same time, when they guarantee you something, what it was along the lines of what, four years, 160 million, they guaranteed him like $60 million. Like that will have, that should eventually come back to haunt you, right? I think it should. But the biggest thing here is, you sign Stafford to this deal and he keeps wanting to push the money into the future, right? To help the team out, which is great. If he eventually decides, okay, this team can't get an extension done with me. All of that money that's still guaranteed to him goes against their cap. So it's his choice to move it. So I don't know if he gets paid or not, but it will hurt them in the long run. It just, you know, over the past couple of years, it doesn't seem like it will affect the Rams. So, Justin, do you think this idea of elongating contracts, shoving money in the future is going to become more popular in the NFL? I think I think it has the potential to. But like, I don't know, the Rams have the blueprint. They've built the foundation. We've seen the teams like Packers and Saints do it. And, you know, the Saints, you know, they're, they're, they're somewhat paying the price right now, but I don't think they did it to the extent that the Rams have where they literally leveraged their entire future for this one ring. So I think teams are going to feel it out a little bit. If you look, Saheed Khan, the Jaguars owner is the sixth richest owner and the Jaguars spent the most money this entire offseason. Uh, and heading into next year, they have the most salary cap hit on them as a team. Um, but they do have a, a quarterback on a rookie contract so they can kind of afford to do these things. So, you know, you see teams kind of taking this idea, but they haven't leveraged their entire future to do it. I, I think teams really want to see how the Rams handle this because, yes, they won a ring. And, yes, you know, they were crowned the Super Bowl champions of 2022 and all that. They got their ring, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, the reality is Stafford is not young. Aaron Donald is not young. What are they going to do? They don't have picks for, like, the next five years. They haven't had a first-round pick in, like, the last four years. So what are they going to do when – this all catches up to them. How are they going to handle it? I think teams want to see how they do that. And then they can kind of steal from them because it is, it's a huge investment. Like if Aaron Donald doesn't get in the face of Joe Burrow on that last play, 
most likely the Bengals are Super Bowl champions and they did all of this for nothing. So it's like, yes, that's a what if scenario, but what if a team in the future leverages everything and it doesn't work out? Then it was all for nothing. So I don't, I don't know if teams will really want to risk their entire future. We've seen it work once. So we'll see. I think that's the big reason why most teams are not on this train yet. I think a lot of teams will start to do it, but I myself as a Kansas city chiefs fan know that we value picks more than we value money punishing us in the future for a team now. Right. That's why we got rid of Tyreek. We, as much as we wanted to pay the man, we can't guarantee all that money because one, we already did it with one person. And that person is our quarterback for the next, I think it's seven years. Right. So the Rams are going to be able to do this for a while. But Justin, like I talked about, you know, you talked about the salary cap, but this needs to, I think there needs to be a punishment more short term, right? Obviously there's no draft picks. That's probably their biggest punishment right now, but we have yet to see them because they're managing it very well, get punished for this. So they will continue to have this quote unquote super team. Things are going to look different depending on you know, where OBJ lands, uh, the fact they don't have Robert Woods anymore. They're going to have Bobby Wagner instead of Von Miller. So it'll be interesting to see how the Rams change up their play style for one, but number two, how they manage their money is going to be seriously tight in the next couple of years with how they've paid players, especially if they need to add a new weapon. And one of these guys is hurt, right? That's the big issue here. So luckily Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald have not had to deal with too much injury in their careers. And Donald's been healthy every single season, which, I mean, it makes sense. The guy takes care of his body. Look at him. But, like, man, it could seriously it could seriously hurt you if, uh, if one of these guys gets hurt or something happens short-term that affects the splurge that you just had. I mean, I'll just say it straight up. I think it already has. I mean, they lost. Look at who they lost. They lost Robert Woods because they couldn't retain him. They can't afford to get Odell Beckham back. They couldn't afford to retain Von Miller. They have they lost depth. They had to cut a, a linebacker who started on special teams and now supplement him with some UDFA or something like that. So because of the lack of picks, they're lacking depth and they've already lost multiple key contributors to that Super Bowl squad. You replaced you, you lost Woods and OBJ and replaced him with. Allen Robinson. So it's like, yes, Allen Robinson's a great player, but you lost two good players for one great player. I think Bobby Wagner severely overrated. Um, I don't care what anyone has to say. I don't think he's, I don't think he right now, I think he is an amazing player then, but I think right now he's washed in my opinion. I don't think he's as good as people make him out to be. So, and he's not even an edge rusher. You know what I'm saying? Like he is a middle linebacker, Von Miller. He was a, his, his specialty was rushing the quarterback. Bobby Wagner can blitz, but he is not an edge rusher. So now you've lost a premier edge rusher, two very good wide receivers, tons of depth. We'll see how they do next year. Yeah, because if they have anything like the Ravens had last year, they could be in some serious trouble with how much they've spent. They have no depth. One injury, and you're, you're, tr you're trying out someone who doesn't deserve to be out there. Yep. Let's, let's transition real quick to another team that decided to flip the opposite. And, you know, I mentioned him earlier. Uh, we're going to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs a little bit. And that's because Tyreek Hill 
is doing his best at a publicity stunt. His podcast went live two days ago, and I got a chance to listen to it myself. And Justin, I think you saw it on my social media yesterday. I don't know if I've ever seen someone try so quickly to burn a bridge with their previous fan base. Yeah, he, he, he's a clown. I don't understand how you could drag an organization that firstly took a chance on a troubled player with legal history in the fifth round, gave you a chance, took a shot on you, and made you the player that you are, got you a ring, surrounded you with talent, was really nothing but good to you. I, I don't understand the rationale behind that, but that's the problem with modern-day wide receivers. They are absolute divas and they think they're above the world and they think that they can say whatever they want this is giving me major antonio brown vibes i'm not gonna lie to you and it's funny that you say that because 610 sports the local radio station for kansas city was talking about the fact that they are thankful that we got rid of tyreek hill before he went all antonio brown on us he could have been a real headache for you guys especially this year if he was like unhappy or something like that or he decided to open his mouth more he'd be a real it's like, bro, he's just a scheme. He's fast, and he has a quarterback who can get the ball to him. He's well, not going to work with Tua. You know what? Don't get me wrong. I'll give him more credit than that. I think he'll play really well in Miami. I think he'll fit well in the offense because you can scheme around him and because you can get him the ball quickly and in space, right? You have two guys like that in Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill now. And Tyreek Hill just got done playing a season where everything he was thrown was underneath because – they're playing two high shells on us. Yeah, no one is going to go deep on a, on a crazy t- cover two or even cover four look, right? So here's the thing. It is one thing to go to your new team and be like, yo, check out my quarterback. He's more legit than everyone thinks. Hype him up, right? It is another thing to turn around, bash the organization that you just got a chance from and had a wonderful time with, built, built your legacy with, and then go on and compare your quarterback to someone who's yet to prove himself. Tyreek Hill talked about on his podcast that he would rather have Tua's accuracy than Mahomes' deep ball, which I'm not even going to go on and talk about you know, Mahomes' accuracy because the man can look one direction and hit you in the breadbasket another. And another thing I wanted to quickly mention, if you all remember – Kansas City Chiefs last year, they started the season pretty poorly. I think they were four and three through their first seven games, right? Everyone was like, oh my God, Kansas City, what is going on with you guys? I don't even know if their record was that good, to be completely honest. But Tyreek Hill, through the first, through those first weeks until we eventually turned it around, led the league in drops. He was come and then to turn around and say, oh, you know, my quarterback is not as accurate when you're dropping balls in your hands. There was a clip the other day I saw of him catching literally a drag or he should have caught a drag right in his hands, leading him the direction he's running ball gets bounced off of his hands and Micah Hyde picks it off, takes it for six against Buffalo, right? Huge game game mattered a lot. And the guy couldn't catch a ball that was thrown four yards to him. And I'm not going to discredit Tyreek Hill. He's one of the most explosive players in the league. My, my trouble is when you turn around and you try to bash people for not being able to get contract done when they value the future of their team more than keeping a 
close to 30 year old wide receiver who is starting like to be honest as much as he had a 1200 yard season this year teams were starting to figure it out and if you know kansas city and you watch their games we like to get more creative we like to do things we like to scheme people in which brings me to my final point and justin i know i haven't given you a chance to talk on this and i will here in a moment but who like what was he thinking when he decided to bring his lawyer as the co-host of the podcast? The guy, the guy has no idea what I'm talking about or what he's talking about, because he's talking about how we under, he was mentioning that we underutilized Tyreek didn't scheme enough around him. Tyreek was complaining about that because of a one game sample size where every other receivers, you can go back and look at it. It's the Ravens game from like week two this past year. And he had three catches and everybody else had five or six, right? And they're like, why aren't they getting Tyreek the ball? We ended up losing the game because Clyde Edwards Alaire fumbled in a situation where we were trying to run the clock out and get a field goal whole thing. We lost the game, but if you're Tyreek Hill, you know, you're good enough to take away players. So you would create opportunities for other players to shine as well. That's, you know, that's the double-edged sword with being a great player. You get the ball a lot, but at the same time, you open up avenues for players like Travis Kelsey. You open up avenues for Michael Hardman, Byron Pringle, whatever. So the lawyer then had the audacity to look over the podcast and say, or to say over the podcast, do you think they under, underutilized you in your last year and then suppressed your stats for a potential trade? Let me ask you this. What would be the reason to suppress someone's stats for a trade? Wouldn't you want the most you can get out of a trade? Right? Does, doesn't that make sense, Justin? No, that why, like that's stupid on the end of the team. Unless, see what he should have said. This is a lawyer that said this. Are we, are we for real right now? Where did he get this guy? Craigslist? If you really want to make that argument, you would go along the lines of, do they want to suppress your stats to get you back cheaper? contract wise not for a trade why would you want to devalue your player just to trade him yeah. that's stupid you would want to maximize his value if your plan was to trade him if your plan was to not utilize him to his fullest potential to get him back on a cheaper contract i could totally get behind that somewhat like you'd still want to win games winning is way more important than but it but it makes sense but that makes way more sense than oh did they not use you just because they want to trade you and they wanted to devalue you are you dumb Mr. Lawyer, what is he, what was, what is he a lawyer for? Are we talking about like, this is his. So according to the podcast, this is Tyree Kill's attorney. Oh, his oh. agent was also on the podcast and he was very, he was very ample about everything. He mentioned a few things that were kind of odd considering that weeks or a week after the Tyree Kill trade happened, he came on the Colin Cowherd show and was like, yep, you know, Miami was able to do the contract that we saw fit for Tyreek. And then, of course, on the podcast that comes out a month and a half later, he's like, yeah, we weren't chasing money, stuff like that. And it's like, so the way that he set it up was really, really shaky and odd. And I wanted to mention that because why when a team gives you a shot and then not only did they give you a shot made you the focal point of our offense? And then you turn around and look at them and go, 
you know what, guys, you didn't treat me well. And quite frankly, I think you underutilized me. Seriously, Tyreek, I love you, dude. But good luck in Miami because you're going to be catching balls underneath all day long, especially in a division with um, with some solid DBs in Buffalo. So, I mean, you're going to play worse competition, but don't go around bashing your former your former team and let your players that you are playing with prove that they are good enough to be able to talk the trash that they're doing. Remember that Mahomes took you guys to four consecutive AFC championships. Obviously, you can't do that just by yourself. Four AFC championships. Tua hasn't won a playoff game, nor has he been to one. All right? Just take a step back. Enjoy the fact that you got paid. You're close to home. Everything's going good for you. Don't turn around and bash the people who got you there. Anyway, let's get a little more exciting, okay? Enough, enough bashing on Tyreek. Like I said, wish him the best. Let's move on to some NBA. Justin, do me a favor. Take me through what's going on in the NBA Finals. I've talked way too much. It's tied up 2-2, two to two, though. Justin, give me a rundown. Yeah, so like you just mentioned, when we last touched base with our audience, it was 1-1. And it remains a very even series. You know, game three, it's, it's, a, it's two tails. Game three, Celtics W, pretty dominant from the get-go. Just a, they bought that physicality. I mentioned this over and over and over again. They, the way they're going to win is by playing sound defense and being more physical. And boy, were they more physical. They had double the amount of points as the Warriors in the paint. They're a much taller, much stronger team. So they looked to take advantage of that. And that's you know, the smart thing to do. Tatum had a huge game stepping up in the fourth. And then in game four, polar opposite of game three, you know, Warriors dominated that from the start. We had a vintage Steph moment. He dropped 43, 10 and four. Wiggins stepped up big with 17 and 16. And Boston, you know, they started out iffy and then the wheels just fell off. They were in over their heads in game four. And now they have to head back to Oracle. I think if the Celtics want to get this done, they got to get it done in six because a game seven with Steph Curry, I don't see Curry, Thompson, Green losing another game seven in the finals. I just don't. I can't envision that, especially in Oracle. So Celtics, they got two really big games coming up. But the real question here is Draymond Green, man. He's got more fouls than points. He's just churning out podcast episodes. I wish we had as much content out there as him because, God damn, he's just spitting them things out. You know, he's basically running track and field out there, and then he's coming back and recording podcast episodes. If the Warriors want to win this series, they need more from Draymond. Like, yes, they they have it tied right now with him playing very poorly, but what if Draymond's playing to the degree that we know he can? What's the series? What's the outcome of the series? He needs to step it up because I'll tell you right now, especially in this day and age of toxic interweb social media, if the Warriors inevitably lose this series and Draymond continues to play the way he plays, he's going to get the Westbrook treatment. He's going to get absolutely he, – he's going to get harassed online. He'll never hear the end of it, and he'll never be able to come back from it either because there's no, say, there, there's no, like, there's no saying if the Warriors are going to be back here. So all he's going to have left on his legacy is that time he choked in the finals. you know. And he talks a lot. He talks a lot of smack, and to not be able to back it up the way he usually does – like it catches up to you. You can't 
talk, 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 and, you know, not back it up. It's just, it, it's not sustainable. Exactly. And, you know, he's, he's the big outlier in this series. He has been from the get-go. When you, when you have 17 fouls and only 15 points, that's an issue, especially when you're playing for a championship. But you know what, Justin? You know who else? You know someone who is silencing all those haters is Steph Curry. Like, I, we can't talk enough about this guy because he took everyone who were saying, yep, you know, he's not top 10, doesn't have a finals MVP, hasn't had his, what, his fourth ring now? Steph Curry in the NBA Finals. Let's, let's take a look at this. 137 points on 50% shooting. 50% shooting, right? The rest of the Warriors, 176 points on 39% shooting. There is no person on this planet who would disagree with the fact that if the Warriors are going to win this series, Steph is MVP by miles. Steph could be out for the next two games or the next three games, and he could still win MVP. The guy okay. is playing out of his flipping mind. And Justin, I think something that is really important to point out too, this is last year on his contract. Do you think Curry could cement his legacy and then end up retiring? I mean, the guy's late 30s. He's by far, like, he doesn't show signs of slowing down. But man, he's, I mean, he's full-time dad. He is one of the best players to ever live. What else does he have to prove in order for his legacy to be cemented? So he's, he's missing that finals MVP. He's missing that fourth ring. So to your point, obviously, if he wins that, it's a different, if he wins these two, which looks pretty, pretty possible, it's a different story. But I just don't see, like, there's, there's been zero signs of him slowing down. He hasn't mentioned retirement in any capacity. And I don't see why with the Warriors squad the way it is, they wouldn't want to run it back. You know, obviously he's a free agent heading into next year. So he's going to secure a, an extension or a new contract, whatever that may be. But like <clears throat> they're, they're young, man. They have Jordan Poole who could only get better. They have James Wiseman who hasn't looked worthy of the first overall pick. Like he's been, or whatever pick he was, he, he was not worthy of a top pick. He's been kind of a flop so far. Jonathan Kaminga is very young, could develop. So there's a lot of young pieces on this team that if they take a step forward and Curry takes a step back, they could kind of work in equal equilibrium. Like it, it could still work. They could still be a very, very solid team. Clay Thompson's getting up there. Draymond's getting up there. But, you know, the young studs, even Andrew Wiggins is in there. He could carry the load. Gary Payton's not too bad. So they have a lot of youth on this team on top of veterans that, you know, that we're accustomed to. So I, I don't see why he would want to leave the core that they've set up because, when KD left and Curry got injured, you know, everyone was like, whoa, is this it for the Warriors? You know, and they've bounced back completely. You know, they had a couple down years, a couple top picks now onto the roster that already has these studs. We just aren't seeing a lot of them because, you know, they're studs. Why, why would they play over them? But, you know, in a couple of years, they might or they'll have significant time or significant role. So I don't see why Curry would want to leave that behind, especially if they turn out to be really, really good players, that maximizes his potential to get even more rings. So, 
Yeah, and I, I took a second look at it. He's 34, and obviously he'll be a free agent this, this next season, but to have players like Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole who are stepping up and becoming more and more faces on the offensive side of things, I think it'll take pressure off of Steph a little bit as well. And Draymond is a free agent in 2024. Quite frankly, with, how, with the way he's playing and the fact, you know, his points per game have been down for the past three straight years, right? Ever since they gave him a large contract. Hmm. And then do you think maybe they could move off Draymond and go to someone in two years who could, you know, really help the face of the franchise be the next, you know, be the guy that Steph hands the torch off to, or do you think they already have that with someone like Poole? I think they already have Draymond's replacement lined up. He's not going to be the defensive force, but in terms of position, Jonathan Kaminga is a power forward. So, and he's a average sized power forward at that, you know, Draymond's six, 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 seven. So he's a bit undersized with that. So the Warriors could kind of, we see big, big balls kind of making a, its way back. It was small ball for a while. Now we see teams like the Sixers, the Nuggets, even the Celtics dominating with just athletic, even the Raptors are a great example of just big, long pause defenders and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, they have Wiseman on the roster. They have Kaminga. So they could kind of make a traditional switch to more bigger, bigger guys down low. So I think Kaminga with a, maybe another year of development makes Draymond very expendable. Yeah. And I think the future of the Warriors, depending on whether or not they win this ring, I think with the series at what it is at and the situation at hand, I think the role players need to step up a bit more. Draymond. Uh, Wiggins is playing really, really well. He had a double double the other night. Uh, pool, like I talked about, Clay needs to be game six, Clay, right? And if it's Boston, you need to find a way to stop him. You need to have the Warriors win through someone else. Don't let Curry beat you. If you lose to somebody else, like if Clay Thompson drops 40, Jordan Poole drops 35, whatever, you should be happy. If you hold Curry to 12, it's an absolute win. I think it is because at that point, it's about one, it's about covering that guy. And number two, are the role players going to be able to drop, you know, that many points consistently and be the hero all the time. So last three games of the series, you've seen everything that Curry can do in games one through four. It's time to make a huge adjustment go into Oracle, and I think they really have to win game five. I don't think they can lose this game or it's over for them. I I second that. I think game five is the biggest game for the Celtics so far. And like I said, I think they got to get this done in six because, you know, game five would be a steal from Oracle. That's wishful thinking in its own sense. To go into Oracle game seven, it's it's a pipe dream. It's yep. it's it's a dream, you know, like that, that's asking a lot from them because they've, they've stolen one from Oracle, I think. Have they? Yeah. To think you're going to steal three, you're out of your mind, out of your mind. Got to get it done in five and six. All right, Justin, let's get into our last topic of today. The MLB. We just got done talking about this guy. Jordan Alvarez just got an extension for six years, $115 million. Justin, we were talking about how great the Astros are. 
this is like the cornerstone for their franchise from now on. I, th- I think he is going to be the face of the franchise, like Bregman, Altuve. They're great guys. They moved on from Springer and Correa this past offseason. But if one young guy is going to stick, it is going to be their designated hitter and outfielder, Jordan Alvarez. Yeah, that's simply a steal of a contract. I mean, he, he legitimately, I talked about this earlier, he could be the best hitter in all of baseball over the next five, six, seven, eight years. So to lock him up for a minimal contract like that, it, it's six years, 115. That's, that's a very, very solid contract for a team that just never goes away, man. And they, with this contract, man, you could sign really more people, more people. That's just, they don't deserve it, man. Oh my God. The Astros classless, but so smart. Such a smart team. He's hitting 302 this year. He's got 17 homers, Justin. He is exactly what they want him to be. He's their power guy. He's their drive-in runs guy. And he's only 24. Yeah. He's, 20, he's 24, and they're paying him less than $20 million a year to be a hitter over 300 in this league, which is nuts. Absolutely nuts. I remember him in 2019 when the Astros were trying to push for a world series and man, he was just tearing it up that season. He, he only played half the season, but dude, he batted three thirteen. Jordan was an absolute machine for them. Right. And then 2020, he missed with injury 2021 batting 277 and now he's got some all-star type numbers for the dh position so i mean unfortunately he's in the same he's in the same division as people like aaron judge but but i don't think aaron judge necessarily dh's all that much he's he's going to be a guy that plays outfield and jordan's more of a dh primarily that's why judge is going to get double the contract jordan got because what limits Jordan is he's a horrible fielder. So he's a great hitter, but horrible fielder. So it's like two sides of a coin, and then it kind of meets up in the middle, whereas Judge is a legitimate gold glove every single year. He's a, he's always a gold glove candidate because he's so tall, so athletic. He's stealing home runs for, from Otani and stuff like that. So that is why Judge is looking to get $50 million a year, and Jordan got 20 Because the other thing with that is like, if judge falls off offensively, you know, he's still going to put up numbers defensively. Whereas Jordan, if he's a DH who's struggling, why is he even out there? So it's kind of a, it's a safer contract. So I kind of get it as well. DHs simply aren't as valuable as everyday outfielders. So there's that, but still with what we've seen, he has potential to be a very, very, very good outfielder. I mean, a very, very good hitter. So. I mean, he's proved it thus far in his con in, He's proved it thus far in his career and the Astros still at the top of their division. So don't really see them going anywhere anytime soon. I know how much that might piss you off, Justin, and it might piss a lot of people off, but they're so strong. And the only other team that's close to them who we're going to talk about as well is the angels. Now the angels they flopped. Like we talked about how 
The Phillies had been struggling a lot. We also talked about the Angels. We talked about a few teams a couple episodes. Phillies have turned it around. We also talked about Boston. Boston turned it around. Angels, not so much. I mean, they've won a couple games. The drought is over, but they fired their manager, famous Joe Madden, of the 2016 winning Cubs, World Series winning Cubs. So it's tough, man. 12-game losing streak. They have so much pop. Like, dude, Mike Trout. Dude, Shohei Otani. Dude, Anthony Rendon. Like, these guys are good. And, you know, they signed Syndergaard in the past offseason to try and pay him, get another, get like a prime starter outside of Shohei. A tool. He flopped. And they lose 12 games. So is coaching the problem? It's pitching. They don't have pitching. Yeah. Syndergaard is not an ace by any means. He's fallen off significantly. The Mets, you know, when he was on the Mets, he was a very, very, very good pitcher. But with the Angels, he's horrible. And he ran the Mets through the mud. So I don't feel sorry for him at all. As much as I'm for running the Mets through the mud, it's just, dude, get over it. You know, like they let you go. They didn't want you anymore. They didn't want to sign you back because they knew this was coming. The Angels not a very smart team clearly didn't see it coming and you know took a chance on you and now you're making yourself look stupid too because you bet on yourself and you you know you lost that bet so i think the angels also had the pressure of a win now organization right they have a lot of talent and stuff like that and they haven't been relevant for a pretty long time and that's the issue to have one of the best players in baseball, Mike Trout, if not the best player in baseball, and then grab someone like Shohei Otani. LA probably wants their team to be better. So it's tough. 12 game losing streak. Coach has got to go. Sorry, Joe Madden. We don't care about how great your experiences have been. You're a legendary coach, but I mean, he unfortunately falls at the doorstep of their of their pitching pains. Now let's transition to some other teams. So the past couple of weeks, we've talked about these teams, you know, Red Sox, Phillies. We even talked about how the Braves, you know, were trying, are trying to push into the top of their division, right? Because the Mets are playing so well. All of a sudden those three teams have just started to absolutely light it up. Phillies dropped their manager. Oh my gosh. Was Joe Girardi the issue? They're nine and one in their past 10 games. Like what? What, what, what? Red Sox, seven and three in their past three games. They're back above 500. Or eight and two, excuse me. They're 31 and 29. They're three, three and a half games behind the Braves. Now, AL East is a lot harder than what's going on in, I mean, is it though? Hold on. I can't. Yes, it is. The AL East is the second best division in all of baseball. AL East is a lot harder to manage. I mean, then the, I mean, they're both pretty hard divisions, quite frankly, AL East and NL East. We're talking about the East most divisions right now. Braves five and a half games behind, and that's on a 10 game winning streak. So the Mets are, the Mets have got to be doing some great things if they're still able to be five and five in their last 10 Braves doing what they can 
but Philly's out of nowhere, dude. I think this is the biggest change that the team has made and morale in the locker room must've gotten better because boy, oh boy, have they turned things around, right? They're now 30 and 29. They're only two and a half games behind the Braves. Playoffs are looking a bit brighter for this team. The thing is, they got to move on from the streak phase and turn into, all right, we need to win consecutive series phase, right? Technically, it's still a streak, right? But at the same time, you don't want to be streaky. You don't want to win 10 games, lose 10 games, yada, yada, yada. You want to play 15 games, win 10 of those, lose five of those, right? You go. You want to win the next X amount of series. I think that this team, if the Mets are the Mets, right? If they, if they pull, if they pull a New York Mets and they flop towards the second half of the season, the dog days come in July, August, right before the playoffs, start to get a little lackadaisical. Watch out for these, this Phillies team, man, because they are hot, Justin. Well, I will admit the Phillies are now a game above 500. They are nine and one in their last 10. They won eight in a row after, you know, firing Joe Girardi. The reality is they played a Brewers team that is one and nine in their last 10. They played an Angels team that lost 12 straight games and they beat up on a 28 and 33, three and seven in their last 10 Diamondbacks team who they are currently losing to. So yes, they are hot, but you know, they're a average team beating up on teams on huge losing streaks and just a genuinely all around bad baseball team. So I would like, like, yes, the Brewers are a good team, but like I said, one and nine in the last 10, they're playing very bad baseball right now. Whereas the Phillies are playing good baseball, but I'd like to see the Phillies beat the Mets, the Braves, you know, a team that's, you know, playing very good baseball or at least playing baseball that we know is formidable. Whereas the Brewers are just laying over and dying. Like that's the best team they beat on this win streak. And they're not playing very well at all. So I, I need to see this more. And I know I said that about the Red Sox too, who are continuing to do it. But, you know, the Red Sox are still chasing my Yankees, so we'll see about that one. But the Phillies, I'm not sold on them at all. I completely disagree. They're hot, but they're not really that hot if you think about it. So the divisional games in the NL East are going to be vital for Philadelphia if they want to continue doing what they're doing and possibly make a playoff push. That's what you're saying. Huge. Yes, I agree. <clears throat> all right. Well, that is all we have for today. For the crow's nest justin thank you so much for another wonderful episode love having you and it's good to hear that things are going well in jersey things are great here in kc any any new opportunities for you or just enjoying the summer um about to start two jobs because you know my my car decided to die so i'm doing good balling i'm balling you know how it goes that's just life so I'm picking up two jobs, got them lined up. I'm going to start <clears throat> in the middle of the week and move on from there. So that's my life right now. Well, it's good to hear that you're rolling with the punches. We will continue to roll with the sports world throughout this, throughout this summer season. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you all next time. Peace.